With Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot, you can give your lawn or garden beds a pop of color and protection. Right now, get a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch, five bags for just $10. Help your soil retain moisture longer with color that lasts up to 12 months. Shop Memorial Day savings for a special buy on Scott's Earth Grow Mulch. Five bags for just $10 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Roto-World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short. This is the latest installment in our team check-in series, and we're almost done. Only a few teams remaining uh, to get to here over the next two weeks. You can go back and look in our archives to see all the teams we've already covered over the past several weeks. Today, I'm talking Rockies with Nick Groke of the Denver Post. For that, just a reminder, it's fantasy draft time, and if you're drafting this week or this weekend, you better go to rotoworld.com and get the online version of the draft guide. It has everything you need to get ready for your fantasy draft, over 1,000 player profiles and projections, positional tiers, columns on sleepers, busts, prospects, there's average draft position data, there's mock draft analysis depending on the format you play, so it really has everything you need to get prepared. Go to rotoworld.com for more information. Okay, let's talk to Nick Groke from the Denver Post. Nick, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Great to have you here. Yeah, DJ, thank you. Well, over the winter, I saw the Rockies as a team that I thought could sneak up on people this season. Exciting lineup, some sneaky good arms, new manager there with Bud Black. They still might surprise, but they've had quite the string of bad luck recently. David Dahl, Ian Desmond, Tom Murphy, and, and even Chad Bettis going down. How much do you think these injuries set them back as we approach opening day? You know, just if you'd asked me that just a couple of days ago, even I would have uh, been a lot more worried for them than I am right now. Most of them, I think, will will resolve themselves uh, pretty quickly. Actually, uh, Ian Desmond, when he broke his hand, he got hit by a pitch in a in a Cactus League game, and he broke his hand. At first, I thought it was bad enough to keep him out, maybe even until until June. Yeah, the Rockies are pretty are pretty confident that he'll be back in April, which is which is a big difference for sure. Um, so I, I don't know if that will necessarily hurt them um, that much. The one on the list that you mentioned that really will hurt is Chad Bettis. He was the most senior member of their rotation. Um, he is now getting chemotherapy. He started chemotherapy uh, yesterday, as we talked, um, and he'll be out. He he has in his head that he might be back this summer. Um, I think it's entirely possible that he misses the entire season. Uh, chemotherapy is no joke, uh, and that I mean they were they were really going to rely on him. I mean he's he's only 27 and he is the senior member of their rotation. Their rotation is so young and so unproven that they really could use as much experience 
um, as they can get, and they're losing it with Chad Bettis. So of, of the list, that is the most concerning. They actually have, for maybe the first time in their history, um, actual real talent that's among starting pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't, they can't test it too much um, because they're all so unproven. Um, but I, I, they, they have some numbers to work with, though, uh, in, for change. Uh, so they might be able to fill in for him. Um, I, I don't know, you know, what, what really they, tr- you know, project overall, you know, this season. The, the injuries certainly don't help, but I, I don't know if it's time yet for them to freak out. Right. Um, as for the, the Desmond signing, um, just really putting the injury aside, I mean, he will be back hopefully by the end of April, but uh, this contract, um, five years, $70 million, uh, to play a position he's never played before. Um, you can also maybe question the timing and the market for first base t- types this winter. Um, can you help me out a little bit in explaining this contract? I know you don't speak for the Rockies, but just sort of the logic behind the move. Well, I'm still trying to figure out the logic of the move <laughs> because uh, not only did they are, are they asking him to play a position he's never played in his life, um, it's a less impactful position than his natural. I mean, he was nat- he's naturally a shortstop. He was moved to the outfield last year, which was still, you know, when, when he was playing center field um, for the Rangers, still, still an impactful defensive position. First base is much less so. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you, you have to wonder, like, why are we stashing this dude we're paying $70 million to at first base? Um, especially when, I mean, the real confusion for me as it unfolded over the winter was, well, Edwin Encarnacion is sitting there too. He can play first base. His natural position is first base and he can hit really well. Right. Um, yep. Well, well, what's the problem? You know, what was the problem with him? If you're going to dole out $70 million, what was the problem with Ed- Edwin Encarnacion? But um, as I sort of look at it more, especially in spring, I, I don't think that we've <laughs> looking down, looking sort of down the line and the Rockies haven't said this necessarily, but I don't think that we can discount the idea of Ian Desmond eventually playing shortstop for the Rockies or center field um, or left field, any of the outfield positions, really. I mean, they have some players, especially in the outfield where they're going to have to, they're going to have to come to um, some kind of decision on some longer, bigger contracts, specifically Carlos Gonzalez um, and Charlie Blackman. So having a guy who is so versatile defensively in Ian Desmond, um, they, they might be able to, to move him around defensively through the life of his contract. Probably not necessarily this year, but I think, I think that's kind of more what they had in mind. And then offensively, he's so, he's so versatile a player offensively um, because he's, he's good on the bases. Um, he's adept at doing things like, you know, in hit and run situations, what, you know, whatnot, he would, what they really want from him offensively is to give them a wider range of possibilities, especially on the road. Um, you know, at, at Coors Field, you can, you can kind of just hit your way um, to victories on the road where they struggle to score runs. Um, you have to manufacture it a little bit more. And he allowed them to do more different things, especially in the middle of the lineup. So, I mean, that's what they're looking at, I think, the things that they were looking at uh, when they signed Ian Desmond, at least on the baseball field, they also just like him a lot. Um, mm-hmm. He he is a likable person. I don't know 
you know, what, what specifically they like about him, but they really just liked him. And I, and they were like, well, let's have this guy on our team and then we'll kind of figure it out later. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that, I think that that's where they're generally coming from with Desmond. Right. That's a pretty good case. You just laid out. Um, another big addition for the Rockies this winter, Greg Holland, former all-star closer with the Royals, missed all of last season after Tommy John surgery, signed a one-year uh, $7 million deal with the Rockies in January, bunch of his incentives in the deal as well. We know what he's capable of when he's healthy, but I sort of assume that Adam Adovino would get a chance to begin the year as the closer, but now I'm seeing a lot more about Holland actually getting that gig, has had two really solid appearances, one shaky one. Uh, what's the story with that situation? Yeah, I think Greg Holland's probably the closer. I don't, he, he's not on this team um, to be an eighth inning setup guy. He's on the team to be a closer. The, his, his deal, which was the, the base part of Greg Holland's contract with the Rockies, is really uh, pretty team-friendly. It's $7 million this year. But it's heavy on incentives, and the incentives are all mostly games finished clauses. Um, and he, I don't think he signs. He signs with the team if he doesn't have at least some implied implied agreement that he would be the closer. And I, I think he probably generally deserves it. He was, I mean, it was really not that long ago. I know, I know, we're talking about Tommy John, but he was awesome for the Royals. Um, Ned Yost said it's one of he's one of the two best closers that he's ever had um, or ever seen really um, along with Wade Davis. And I, I think that that's probably a wise, a wise idea for the Rockies to use him in the ninth inning. They, they so often, and, and that's not a slight on Adam Montevino, the Rockies so often, especially at Coors Field, lose games in the eighth inning. That's a good point. Um, they just, you know, when the games kind of start to get long, um, a game can really, really get out of control in the seventh and eighth innings. Um, you know, games games come down to the final three outs at Coors Field less often. I, I, I don't I don't know if I have numbers of sports. It's usually in my head anyway. It's mm-hmm. like less often than other places. It's not because they're not playing two one games like they do in San Diego. Um, they're playing six five games or six four games and if you're winning five one and then all of a sudden you, you know, I, I saw this multiple times last year where they were comfortably ahead against teams. And then in the eighth inning, they score four runs. And then even if you still have the lead, you've completely lost any, any grip on the game at all. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, it's almost like the ninth inning was like predetermined, predestined to just completely fall apart, but they lose it. In, they lose it in an early inning. So it's, it's not that the, it's not that, Adam Onovino is not important to them. I just it really sets up really well to have him as an as an eighth inning guy and Greg Holland as a closer, especially with Greg Holland's experience um, in that inning. Um, it's really it's really not a bad idea, and it won't be. I mean, a, a lot of things will have to unfold, but I imagine that there'll be plenty of opportunities for for Adam Onovino through the course of the season to be earning saves if we care about saves. Right. Um, but as, as, a, as a, you know, a, a quote unquote, you know, assigned closer, um, they wanted, they, they needed to see Greg Holland healthy in the spring. They needed to see him come back and then they needed to see some of his velocity come back. They've seen all of these things. He's even just in two cactus league starts. I mean, through like through two simulated games before that, he's looked really good actually. Um, he has life on his off speed stuff and, and he's throwing hard and he's, 
he, he's in shape, he's healthy, he's happy. Um, I, it's, it's definitely him, his, his job as closer, I think, um, is basically almost set at this point. That's good news. Um, okay, I want to touch on a couple of players from this lineup. Um, first, DJ LeMayhew, coming off a batting title last year, just edging out Daniel Murphy, uh, blew away his previous career high with a 9-11 OPS. Now, nobody's expecting him to hit 348 again, but how has he evolved as a hitter over the past couple of years? It still feels like, even after winning a batting title, that he doesn't get much respect and not a lot of people know about him. I, I just have to stick up for a fellow DJ here. So Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny. DJ, DJ's career arc is so strange, mm-hmm. um, LeMahieu, um, because he's he's a second baseman who's very large. Um, I, what is it? I think he's 6'4", something, 6'3". Um, he's very big. So people just assumed, well, you must be a power hitter. And they just, they always wanted him to be hitting for power. Um, but that was never his, that was never his identity as a hitter. So it was almost like because people were projecting this idea onto him, he seemed like a failure in their eyes because he's not a power hitter, even though he's large, but that's just not who he was. So it was, it was always sort of a weird kind of, um, sort of split between what people expected of him and what he really was. Well, eventually he just grew to stop kind of caring about that. And he really became just a good hitter overall. Um, but, but then as he, you know, just in the past few years though, um, as he's grown more comfortable as a good hitter, he's started to find more power in a kind of backhanded way. Um, and I expect him, I mean, he, his, his home run numbers at least last year, and I think that's reflected in his, in his OPS. Um, his, his, I, I, don't, I don't know them off the top of my head, but he's hitting more home runs than he ever has. And I suspect that they'll go up even more um, just because he's become such such a comfortable um, just hitter overall. He's so he's very. I think he's the second best hitter in the league uh, in the in baseball. Uh, with two strikes, uh, he's which, which I think can just be explained by him being a good hitter. And you know, as he puts a little bit more loft um, on on some of his hits, a little bit, you know, as he gets them into the air a little bit more, um, really to both sides of the outfield, that's when you start to see kind of his power numbers go up a little bit. Uh, he did not luck. He did not luck into a batting title last year. Um, and and it was he is not he is not in in my opinion a course field product he's he's certainly a, a good hitter um, a very very good hitter um, as as you can witness by his his numbers with two strikes and if any if if there's any sort of road road home split with him um, as I always as I always like to remind myself the the road splits on Rockies hitters. They're they're at a, they're at a kind of if they're at an advantage at home they're at a disadvantage on the road right because they have to they have to go the the the, the changeover effect from one to the other is, is pretty extreme as it is with pitchers too but you, the adjustment is much bigger than other players on other teams have to make um, going going from one to another and they have to do it all season long so it balances out a little bit yes they might gain cheap, you know, TJ LeMay, who might gain some cheap hits through the season playing a course, but he loses some um, having to go on the road after having played uh, you know, six, or, six or seven or eight games at, 
at Coors Field and homestand. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he, he deserves, he deserves to be in a conversation among the better hitters, um, better hitting second baseman, I think in the league. And I, I would expect, like I said, I would expect, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if his overall OPS will go up this year, but I, I expect to see a little bit more, maybe slightly more power from him even this year than over last. Speaking of power, Trevor story, uh, Broke out in a big way last year, 27 homers and just 97 games before going down with a torn ligament in his thumb. Now, coming back from hand injuries can be kind of tricky sometimes, but um, how is he looking this spring? And do you think there's still room for improvement with his game, especially in regard to that strikeout rate? He struck out in 31.3% of his plate appearances last season. Yeah, there's plenty of room for for improvement um, with Trevor Story. Uh, you know, from from a Rockies from the Rockies perspective, they want to make sure he's he doesn't regress defensively in any way. He was he was a little bit above average defensively as a shortstop last year. If he can improve defensively, they'll take it. They'll take almost anything they can give that he can give them at the plate um, because he 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 will continue to hit for power. Um, I think for the Rockies, I don't know what his home run numbers will be. Last year was completely crazy. Um, he, he, there were times last season when he was on such a power tear that, um, it was, it was, it was, it was really weird, um, that it, because it kind of came, um, you know, he was, he was regarded pretty well coming out of the minors, but his power, the power just sort of came kind of out of nowhere. Not that he wasn't a power hitter up coming up through the minors, but he was really hitting the ball very far. Um, but yes, the strikeout totals were, kind of in line for somebody who starts opening day as a rookie. Um, I, I don't know if there's a reason to completely dismiss him, but he most certainly needs to improve that. Um, and if he improves, if he can improve on, on <laughs> um, lowering the strikeout totals by, by just by, you know, getting on base, you know, focus on getting on base more, um, even at the expense of home runs, I think that would be fine him um because yeah he needs to um especially if he's going to be hitting you know where whatever it is in the fifth spot possibly the sixth spot um they need they need to get him on base more um you know not necessarily by walking but by you know not not swinging at pitches that he should not be swinging at especially outside the zone um hit pitchers last season at, at, at one point really did kind of figure out that if you throw breaking balls on, you know, toward the outside of the plate against Trevor Story, he can bite, he'll bite pretty easily on them. Um, so he'll need to, he'll definitely need to uh, adjust to that book on him. But, um, you know, you, there, there's plenty of room for improvement. Troy Tulewiski in his second year saw a pretty significant drop-off from his first. He was second in, you know, as, as a rookie, he was second in rookie of the year voting behind Ryan Braun. Um, his second year, he took a he he took sort of a step back, but then in his third year, Troy Tulowitzki, he was awesome in 2009. Um, if you know, I that I I kind of see not the not that Trevor Story is Troy Tulowitzki, but I I would maybe I would not be surprised if he followed kind of a similar career path anyway. Um, in that in that way, I can't talk about the Rockies without uh, mentioning Nolan Arenado, obviously. Uh, back-to-back seasons with at least 41 homers and 130 RBIs, uh, gold glove awards. He's amazing. We, we know that. 
Um, I know there's been a lot of speculation, as you mentioned earlier, about the future for Carlos Gonzalez and even Charlie Blackman. Um, but what about Arenado? Have, have there been any overtures toward a contract extension there? Or is this a situation where we might have to wait to see what happens with Manny Machado, Bryce Harper, guys like that, um, before we get sort of a general framework for what a long-term deal could look like? Well, yeah. I mean, if I were if I were uh, Nolan Arenado or his agent, that's what I would be waiting for. Um, if I were the Rockies, um, I, I would not have a problem with waiting necessarily either. Um, they they signed him through his next two arbitration years, but they did not sign him into free agency mm-hmm. um, yet. So he. <laughs> It's a tough one from from a Rockies perspective. It's a difficult one because probably in the end they got burned a little bit by signing Troy Tulowitzki to a long term deal. Um, they, because only because they they were not able to then follow up his you know his place on the team by building anything around him. Yeah. So if 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 the Rockies think that it's a zero-sum kind of proposition where if they have X amount of dollars to spend on Nolan Arenado, then, you know, are they taking away from being able to resign, resign starting pitchers or, you know, whatever it is um, that they're, they're looking at as they project toward the future. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they are, you know, they, they like Nolan Arenado. I don't know if they like him enough to go over the top to keep him um, into his free agency at this point. Anyway, um, his value, his value is pretty, is pretty high right now. I don't know, you know, I, the, the things that would take it up, to, to, the things that would increase his value in the future are probably out of the Rockies hands at this point. Like you mentioned other player contracts and, and you know, how the, the market sort of shakes out. Um, so it, 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 there's, I don't know if it's necessarily a rush. If they're in a rush to be looking to sign him long term right now, although it would make Rockies fans very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the Rockies have a, a tendency to to really follow the arbitration path on players. You know, you don't get raises. They they don't give players raises before they hit arbitration. Um, they don't. You know, they don't go above market arbitration values when players are in arbitration and then and then you know they have not often paid for a player to get them from their pre-free agent years into free agency although they did with Troy Tulowitzki and Carlos Gonzalez so um, there's not a lot of precedent that the, that we're really looking at with the Rockies paying you know large extensions for players Nolan Arnar would be a, a, a good test case in this way but I really don't see anything coming down any at any time in the near future for him um last question here uh we're so used to focusing on the offense in colorado but john gray really broke through last year um 461 era doesn't really stand out on the surface but if you look at fip he was 3.60 had a one 106 era plus uh ranked 11th in the majors in strikeout percentage all really good things um it seems like his success flew under the radar because of where he pitches but for those who don't get to watch him on a regular basis, could you describe how things have started to come together for him? I think if he was outside of Colorado, he'd be getting a lot more attention. 
Oh yeah, no, definitely. Because you, yeah, because yeah, you look at his ERA and it's not that impressive. But mm-hmm. I mean, he's it's definitely a course field, a course field thing. And I think they kind of had to teach that to him that like, look, don't worry about your ERA because it's gonna it's gonna be large when you when you give up to no fault of your own cheap blue pits um, to very little fault of, of, of pitchers anyway. Like there are cheap blue pits at course field. The outfield is enormous, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's a mental adjustment for a pitcher, especially one who like John Gray completely dominated in college coming out of Oklahoma. You, you have to let those things go mentally. Um, you have to not be phased by a guy being on second base. Like that is going to happen. The gaps are enormous. People are going to hit doubles on you at Coors field. Let it go. Just focus on, focus on the batter um, onto the next, always onto the next one, always onto the next one. And he, he is, particularly well suited to do that because he is such a strikeout pitcher. Yep. Um, he can get out of an inning pretty, um, you know, pretty solidly without not, without kind of really having to worry too much about a guy on second. So it was really just sort of, um, I think kind of basic maturation with a, a pitcher like John Gray that he kind of, once he finally got comfortable, especially pitching at course field, um, that, uh, th- that you, you kind of see him come into his own and his numbers kind of go up. The thing that the thing that he'll need to continue to do is is to be able to figure out the the adjustments going from Coors Field to the road when they when they play Coors Field and then they go immediately to Peco Park, like you you as a pitcher especially with um with a curveball you know a, a specific kinds of sliders that have a lot of movement and John Gray really did try to add a curveball last year and he was pretty effective with it when you go when you go from Coors Field to a pitcher's park, so-called pitcher's park, you have to completely readjust your sights on your pitches. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's something that comes with time that you, you just sort of learn how to do that. Um, you get comfortable with kind of knowing how, how your pitches work specifically. Um, and, you know, as, as, as they learn those things, as he's learned those things, he's gotten better and better. And that's why, you know, you'll see a lot of his park adjusted numbers be pretty good. And I think that they'll probably increase if he can stay healthy and, um, be a little bit more efficient. Um, you know, if he's striking out, if he's striking out a pitcher on, on 10 or 12 pitches, that's probably not ideal. Um, if he can strike them, if he can go, if he can go Oh two and then strike them out in, in, you know, like four or five pitches, that's much, much better. Um, because it would really help them and their bullpen because their bullpen, you know, you, you can see a Rockies bullpen completely fall apart in a home series and it'll affect them for three or four weeks, two or three, two or three weeks if John Gray can pitch into the eighth inning, it would help them so immensely um, and just unfold in future days and, and how they can, how they can work their, their roster, their bullpen. Um, that's when they really get a value out of John Gray. And I think that's what, what maybe he should be kind of focusing on um, this season, being a little bit more efficient. Uh, and just to wrap things up here, feel free to let our listeners know how they can follow your work on social media and elsewhere. I'm on Twitter, Nick Groke, N-I-C-K-G-R-O-K-E. Um, that's probably the best way. But, uh, you know, as the games go, as games fall apart at Coors Field, I'll probably be there <laughs> pulling my hair out. So I'm around. Thanks so much. Hey, thank you, DJ. Good stuff there from Nick. If you're liking what you're hearing during this series and during our fantasy-centric episodes that we've started this month, Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on iTunes, make sure to not only subscribe, but to rate and review. That makes a big difference. 
helps more people find the show, we would really appreciate it. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. Again, the email address is rotoworldbaseballpod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at DJ Short. My co-host Drew Silva is on Twitter at Drew Silva. And I will see you next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.